the honor of being a mom of two boys, um, Alistair, who's five, Ollie, who's two. And uh, if you don't know which ones are mine, Alistair is the one who's rolling his eyes at me. Ollie is the one who is trying to get in your car because he is a people person and he loves you and you're his best friend, even if you just met him. So um, being a mom is kind of a weird thing. I'm sure that I have moms in here that can agree. Before motherhood, I had always heard of this concept of um, maternal instinct. Have you ever heard of that? And so maternal instinct is basically that you have no reason to know what you're doing. You've never experienced this. And yet, for some reason, you know what to do. And so for the most part, OK, OK, I get it. You know, you, but it's not foolproof. OK, so most of the time, I can remember to feed the kids if they yell loud enough. Most of the time, I can remember to brush their teeth. They get at least one bath a week. And I always remember to buckle their seatbelts. But sometimes maternal instinct is not always like it doesn't work. It's not my gifting. Sometimes I have really bad mom moments. Sometimes I forget that I'm supposed to be a mom. Uh, like when Alistair was three months old and he had a little cold and I had always heard that you're supposed to like a humidifier is a good thing to do if kids have a cold, you know. So, so he was taking a nap and he, uh, so I, while he was sleeping I put a humidifier in his room but an hour and a half later, I go in to check on him, and here is this 90-day-old little baby completely soaking wet from head to foot because I didn't realize that you're not supposed to shoot the humidifier at his face. And so there he is, like, just sopping wet. So he went from cold to pneumonia. No, he didn't, but he may have. And uh, there was the other time when Ollie was 18 months old, and I look out my window, and I find him four houses down walking in the middle of the road to the ice cream store that we live next to. There was the other time, maybe two weeks ago, yes, two weeks ago, that I literally forgot I had a child with me, and I was up here for about a half hour practicing for worship when I realized, oh my gosh, I brought Ollie with me, and I have no idea. And Kyle and Stephanie found him in the middle of the parking lot directing traffic. So. Sometimes I forget. Sometimes I forget that I have a kid and I'm a mom. And so whenever Mother's Day comes around, honestly, it's less of me reveling in motherhood and all the things that I've done right. And most of the time, it's me worrying, oh my gosh, here's another year that I'm sending my kids to therapy in adulthood because I'm screwing them up. And so, um, yeah, sometimes I think that the most used words in the mother vocabulary is don't forget and remember. Don't forget. And remember, honey, don't forget to put gas in the car. Boys, don't forget to brush your teeth. Remember to tell Nana happy birthday. And just, just when you think you're done wiping, remember to wipe one more time. And that is an every single day conversation with me and my five-year-old. Remember, don't forget. Remember, don't forget. And so <clears throat> for followers of Jesus, I feel like those two words, those two sets of words are also seem to be used a lot in our vocabulary. Uh, remember to read your Bible. Don't forget to sign up for that small group. Remember, no swearing. Don't forget to shake the pastor's hand. Remember to pray before eating your lunch. Don't forget that person's name for the sixth week in a row. So just as people think that once you give birth to a child, that maternal instinct in you causes you to do all the things right and to know exactly how to be a mom, Many people also think that once you step over the line of faith and become a Christian, that you, for some reason you automatically know the things to do. You automatically know the way to please God and to do all the right things. And 
that your Jesus instinct will cause you to always follow him in the right way. But it can be a little bit overwhelming being a mom. And in the same way, it can be a little overwhelming following Jesus. Sometimes we can be a little forgetful, and sometimes we can forget altogether that we're following Jesus. And so there's this, um, now that all the flowers are coming out, there's this little flower that always makes its appearance in the spring. And for the most part, all it's used for is like fillers and bouquets, and it's a nice pop of blue. Um, but otherwise, it's not all that glamorous. And it's called the forget-me-not. Have you heard of those? And so um, the thing about a forget-me-not is that it really doesn't attract any sort of immediate attention. It's pretty unassuming. It's easy to overlook among the larger and more vibrant flowers, and yet it's just as beautiful, and, uh, and it's rich, and it's blue, and it's delicate, and it's small, but for the most part, it's pretty easy to pass up. And so then there's its name. Um, there's a German legend that just as God had finished naming all of the plants, one was left unnamed, and so a tiny voice, when God was walking away, yelled out, forgive me not, Lord, and God replied that was gonna be its name. And so while thinking about like this little flower, it reminded me of like walking with Jesus and having that overwhelming feeling of needing to remember everything and how to stay in the bounds and how to please him and just to not mess up. And Kyle hit on this a little bit last week, that the problem of this kind of thinking is that we do have moments of failure. We're always going to have those moments of failure. And, and when we put so much pressure on ourselves to do the right thing and to always always go the right way and to never go out of the bounds. The problem with that is, is that when we fail, it's damaging. And it shouldn't be damaging when we fail, but it is damaging when we put that kind of pressure on ourselves. And so shame and guilt, those are two things that are never from God, um, but they're from the enemy. Those things creep in and it makes it that much harder to bounce back and to kind of get back on the horse and to, and to continue in your life with Jesus. And so we stop trying, and then before we know it, Jesus is very distant from us because we just stop trying because we're evidently not good enough. And so Brene Brown, who is an expert in this idea of shame versus vulnerability and courage, she said this, shame corrodes the very part of us that believes we are capable of change. So in order to keep that shame at bay, there's a few things that we need to remember about the grace involved with following Jesus. And let me tell you now, there is a lot of grace. There is so much grace involved in our walks with Jesus. And so um, I just have a couple little forget-me-nots, aka don't-forgets, um, that Christians and mothers and, and fathers and that we can all remember. And so the first thing that I want to say is don't forget to be patient with yourself. Don't forget to be patient with yourself. And so I want to tell you something that hopefully you will receive in the right way, um, but that God is fully aware that you and I are not perfect. I mean, he's very, very aware that we're not perfect. And I'll add to that, God is also fully aware that the people you think are perfect are not perfect. And so moms don't always get this concept. I think it's always this comparison of who's the best mom and who, you know, who's doing the right things. I saw, I saw a meme online that said, how to be a mom in 1950, literally just feed them and send them outside. How to be a mom in 2017. Make sure your children's academic, emotional, psychological, mental, spiritual, physical, nutritional, and social needs are met while being careful not to overstimulate, understimulate, improperly medicate, helicopter, or neglect them in a screen-free, processed foods-free, GMO-free, negative energy-free, 
plastic-free, body-positive, socially conscious, egalitarian, but also authoritative, nurturing but fostering of independence, gentle but not overly permissive, pesticide-free, two-story, multilingual home, preferably in a cul-de-sac, with a backyard and five siblings spaced at least two years apart for proper development, and don't forget the coconut oil. Hashtag blessed. So when I, when I think about that, it's a little silly, but not all that silly. But when I think of that, like, okay, so my kid's main source of nutrition is those dino chicken nuggets that you get at Walmart. And screen-free, um, I'm pretty sure that I give the most props to a tablet for teaching my two-year-old the alphabet. And as far as social needs are being met, Alistair is five and he still growls at people when he meets them for the first time. So I'd say we're doing well. So as Christians, I think we do this so much when we see somebody else showing the best of their walks with God and they're in the forest and they're taking pictures of like flowers and they have a scripture there. And we think that we are falling so far behind. P.S. Facebook is not real. I just want everybody to know that. Facebook is not real. Galatians 6, 4, and 6 says, don't compare yourself with others. Just look at your own work to see if you have done anything to be proud of. You must each accept the responsibilities that are yours. So yes, every single person in here should have a desire to be more like Jesus. We should have the desire to dig deeper into God's word and to, and to pray more and to sin less and to stop that addiction and to be more kind and to forgive more easy and to worship in a new way and to tithe and to be more sacrificial with our time. Every day we should reach higher and we should go deeper into the things of God, but we're also going to fail. And there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. I hope that you realize that because condemnation is never from God. Condemnation is what, is what says to you um, that you're not going to be good enough and that you messed up again and why do you keep doing this and what is your problem? But conviction says, I messed up, I made a mistake, but I can do better and I will. And so that's what God wants us to feel is that conviction, yes, that if we messed up, first we fess up, but then we're on the right track to getting better. I mean, we're on the right track to to leaning into God and saying, this is where I am just not doing a very good job and I need God's help more than anything. And so your walk with God is going to have mountains, but it's also going to have those valleys as well. So keep working on it, but stop punishing yourself because it gets you nowhere. It only brings shame and it brings guilt and it leads you farther away from Jesus than closer to him. So stop punishing yourself. Be patient, be kind to yourself, be compassionate to yourself. And your successes, as small as they might seem to you, they're always noticed and they are never forgotten by God, who loves you so much. And so second, don't forget to be happy now. There's a story that goes like this. A crow lived in the forest and was absolutely satisfied in life. But one day he saw a swan. This swan is so white, he thought, and I'm so black. This swan must be the happiest bird in the world. He expressed his thoughts to the swan. Actually, the swan replied, I was feeling that I was the happiest bird around until I saw a parrot, which has two colors. I think now that the parrot is the happiest bird in creation. The crow then approached the parrot. The parrot explained, I have lived a very happy life until I saw a peacock. I have only two colors, but the peacock has multiple colors. The crow then visited a peacock in the, in the zoo and saw that hundreds of people were gathering to see him. After the people had left, the crow approached the peacock. Dear peacock, the crow said, you are so beautiful. Every day, thousands of people come to see you. When people see me, they immediately shoo me away. I think you are the happiest bird on the planet. 
And the peacock replied, I always thought that I was the most beautiful and happy bird on the planet, but because of my beauty, I'm trapped in this zoo. I've examined the zoo very carefully, and I've realized that the crow is the only bird not kept in a cage. So lately, I've been thinking that if I were a crow, I would be happy. Don't forget to be happy now, where you're at. Is it possible that in the midst of busyness and grief and disappointments and lost opportunities and uphill battles that we can find joy now? And some of you might be saying, well, Vanessa, I'm not sure that that's possible. You don't know my situation. Joy right now is not an option. And you're right. Joy does not make itself readily available. Joy is not a right. It's a decision. And so Julia, our worship leader, uh, we were in a meeting, and one of the questions that Kyle had asked us was, how is God getting your attention right now? And one of the things, I hope it's okay that I'm saying this, but um, one of the things that sh she said was that God is showing her that the more intentionally thankful you are for things, the more joy you find in your life. And so um, Paul, who possibly is the most Christ-like man who has ever lived, knew how to find joy in the least likely of places. And so in 2 Corinthians, Paul lets us in on the trials that he's faced. He said, I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift in the sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. And still, in the book of Philippians, he is able to say, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. And so Paul has known trial and tribulation, and yet he has joy. Why? Because he understands that in his weakness, God is made perfectly strong. And so he, he knows what it's like to have almost nothing, but Paul can find joy because there's always something beautiful to find if you're looking for it. And so you've been hearing about the, the study that Art and Pam are doing that joy starts here. Well, joy starts here. Joy starts here, right here, right now, where you're at, in the mess, in the muck, in the ugly. Joy can be found here because there's always something beautiful to find on our journey with Jesus. And so we're always kind of looking in the future. We're looking for that promotion. We're looking for God to do something amazing. If you need a healing, you'll say, I'll be happy when I have that healing, or I'll be happy when I have that money, or I'll, I'll be happy when I get married, or when I have kids, I'll be happy then. But it's always like that carrot that dangles in front of you, because the moment you achieve that, you realize that, okay, well, now I want that. And we spend our whole lives not finding true joy because there's always something that we want when in reality the things that we have right now and the community that we have and the people that we have and the life that we have, like there is beauty in all of that and there can be joy that is found. So look to the future, yes. Look to grow better and to do better. Don't lose sight though of the richness that God is offering you today because you're concerned for tomorrow. 
breathe in the air a little bit deeper, snuggle your dirty kid for a little bit longer, buy lunch for a poor college kid, and you'll find that joy can surround you in, in the least likely places. So the more you're aware of God's presence and his goodness and the more experience you'll have of that joy. And so the third thing um, that I, I just want you to not forget is don't forget that God has not forgotten you. Um, you're not forgotten. Wherever you are, whatever circumstance you're in, God has not forgotten. Um, no matter how dark your days may seem, no matter how insignificant you may feel, no matter how overshadowed you think that you are, your Heavenly Father has not forgotten you. And so I did a little study and that uh, I was wondering how many people in the whole world had ever lived. And, and the Population Reference Bureau estimates, I'd like to be in that bureau, um, estimates that about 110 billion people have lived on the earth as far as it's been alive. And so if the Bible is true, and we do believe it is, that means that God has not only intricately and intentionally built 110 billion people in the wombs of their mothers, but he knew them before they were even conceived, and he knew their plan and their purpose and their joys and their griefs and their sorrows and their thoughts and their sins and their desires and their hopes. If we believe that God has known 110 billion people so intimately, it can be easy to believe that God might not always be in the headspace to remember me. You know, that's a lot of people to have to remember and have to create and have to know about. So in those important times, yeah, I'm sure that God remembers us, but it can't be like all the time, because that's impossible. But our Father says the opposite. Isaiah 49 says, Zion says, the Lord has left me, the Lord has forgotten me. But the Lord says, can a woman forget her baby? Can she forget the child who came from her body? Even if she can forget her children, I cannot forget you. I drew a picture of you on my hand. You were always before my eyes. And so I believe that in God's heavenly office, he has a picture of you on his desk. He has your macaroni necklace wrapped around his neck. He has your primary paint picture on his fridge. And he had drew a picture of you on his hand. That's what the word says. And I would like to think that it's not just a doodle that anybody can do, but he makes sure to detail your eye color and that scar on your cheekbone and those laugh lines around your mouth and those worried wrinkles between your eyes. He knows you. He loves you. And he's not forgotten you. The love of God is not a normal kind of love. It's redemptive. It's saving. It's limitless. It's not bound by our perfection. It dresses your wounds. It heals your hurts. It shines at our successes. It's salve to our failures. It's perfect, and it's ours. The last part of Isaiah 44 is a love letter from God to his people, and this is what I'd like to leave you with. Um, it says, pay attention, O Jacob, for you are my servant, O Israel. I, the Lord, made you, and I will not forget you. I have swept away your sins like a cloud. I have scattered your offenses like the morning mist. O oh, return to me, for I have paid the price for your freedom. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for you. Lord, as we, um, as we understand how life can be so very topsy-turvy and so uh, sometimes chaotic and we're not sure of the direction that we're supposed to go and um, there's huge successes and there's massive failures, 
Um, as it seems like things are always changing, the beauty of your character, God, is that you do not change. Your love doesn't change. Your forgiveness doesn't change. Your grace doesn't change. And even in the midst of our failures, your plan does not change. And so, God, as we um, are just navigating this walk with you, would you remind us not to forget to uh, show ourselves a little bit of compassion and to be patient with ourselves? Would you remind us not to forget that we can find joy right here, right now? And would you always remind us that you do not ever forget us? And that as you lift up your hand, Father, that you see our face on that hand. And God, that even though we, this earth has seen, what, 110 billion people, Father, that um, every person in this room is the apple of your eye. And so, God, I pray that as they leave today, as we all leave today, that we would have that understanding of your perfect and limitless love. In Jesus' name, amen.